what is it that the Lord may ask of you or myself that when he asks it, we say, that's it. I'm not going to serve the Lord any longer. I'm not going to go his way. What about a circumstance? Maybe the Lord brings us into a circumstance and because of the difficulty that we have in that circumstance, we come to a point and we say, that's it, I'm going another way. We may like to think that no matter what would come our way, nothing will move us. Nothing. What if some restriction that we're placed in becomes so hard for us and so difficult for us that we say, Lord, that's it. This is too much for me. This restriction is just too much upon me. I'm going to go my own way. And we may think that may never happen. I believe that if we receive the grace of God today, we receive from him on a daily basis, whatever it may be, something small in his word pertaining to us, whatever it may be. If we receive today from him, that is, I believe, our guarantee that in the future we have the grace that we need to continue on with him. We don't know what's coming down the road for us as individuals, as a church, as a country. I've said this some years ago that the storm clouds of life are on the horizon and they're moving toward us. But when the storms come, where will we be? When God brings restriction in our life, what will our, will our heart be like? I mean, will we say, yes, Lord, and come down and whatever he puts us under, stay there? Or we say, that's it, I've had enough. You know, this Christian walk is not what I thought. Or I've been under enough for too long. I'm going my own way. And there have been many, many people over the years who I have seen who have come and gone. And they've never stayed in the restriction that God had them in. And that's not always an easy place to be. It may not be a place of our liking, but whatever God chooses, whatever his will brings for us, uh, we, we must have a heart that is down and, and say, Lord, whatever, whatever, and walk with him and, and stay where we should be. Now, when I look at Jonah, we all know the story of Jonah, but there's a lot in the book here that as I was reading, very interesting, and, you know, God's word never gets old, if you know what I'm saying. It's always applicable in our lives in certain times. Uh, even though it was something years ago that happened, the Spirit of God can take that and apply it to our lives. As I was reading the book of Jonah, there were two main messages in the book that I saw. The one is man's difficulty with the will of God 
And the second is God's difficulty with the will of man. Now, when Jonah has a message to go, as we'll see, the word of the Lord comes to him to go to Nineveh. He wants to go to Nineveh and preach the message of judgment only. And his fear is that when he preaches the message, that the people will respond and that God would forgive them. That's, that's what he's afraid of. That's the reason he runs. And why would the prophet of God be fearful that the people would respond to his message? If you look at Jeremiah, you look at Ezekiel and many of the others, they would have loved to see the people respond to the message of God. Jonah is opposite in that, in that he does not want them to receive the message of God, to repent, to change their life, to go another way. And there's something here. Why would Jonah do that? And I, I have this written down here because many times we're not understanding what's going on in the cultural setting, which is very important sometimes. The Assyrians, uh, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians, the Assyrian uh, people. But let me read this. It says, the Assyrians, archaeologists have discovered, were merciless and savage people. The Assyrian army was ruthless and cruel, burning cities, burning children, impaling their victims on stakes, beheading them, and chopping off their hands. And because of that, the Hebrew people had this deep-seated hatred for the Assyrians. The Assyrians would strike fear in all the nations around. And when they would invade, like it says, they would burn the cities, burn the, the children, impale people. That means they would put a stake in the ground and take them and put them down on it and impale them and kill them. And it's my personal belief, although it doesn't say this in the book of Jonah, but I believe that he was close to that. In other words, either some family member or some relative or some friend, someone he knew had experienced this or had died under the hands of the Assyrians. Why else would the prophet not want to go and preach the message of repentance? So because of that, he has this deep-seated hatred in his heart. There's something going on, I believe, in his heart. And later on, in chapter 4, God says to him, Do you do well being angry? He mentions that twice. The third time he mentions it, the Lord mentions it, he says about um, being angry that the plant, the gourd, died. And so hatred in the Bible and anger in the Bible move right along the same path. And there's a scripture in Ezekiel uh, related to that I was reading about the Edomites. And God says that. He mentions both of those in the same verse about their hatred 
and their anger toward the Israelites. So it seems to me that both of those things move along the same line. So if someone has anger here in their heart, many times you'll see the same thing. You'll see hatred right along there, you know, there in their heart there with that. And so God calls Jonah, and when he does this, he does many things with at least a dual purpose, probably more than that. But one would be to give a message to the Ninevites. The second would be that through the dealing of the Lord and through the message, that God would be able to deal with the messenger, with the heart of Jonah. So both of those things occur here with him, as well as with us also. God gives us a message. He gives us something. But as you well know, many of you, that many times that has to strike here first, our heart, before it goes out. And so the Lord wants to change the heart attitude of Jonah so that when he goes to Nineveh, and we know he eventually goes. Remember, the word of the Lord comes to him the first time. Then the word of the Lord comes to him the second time. And the second time, because of the circumstances, Jonah goes. But Jonah takes the message of God to the Ninevites, but he does not take the heart of God. And there's a vast difference between the two. To just teach or preach a message is one thing. Having the heart of God in that, the correct way, that's something different. And that's always what the Lord is looking for in the minister, in the teacher, the Sunday school teacher, whatever you know is going on, the person who is witnessing, whatever it may be, that you have the word of God, but that you also have the heart of God. Now let's just read a couple verses in chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and he does not want to go the way that the Lord has for him. He has a problem with the will of God. He has a problem with that. So much so that he travels from uh, where he is, the city where he is, is above Nazareth, to Joppa, which is diagonally down to the Mediterranean Sea, approximately, from what I could see, 40 miles plus which probably took him three or four days to walk, maybe. And he's going to set sail from Joppa to go to Tarshish. Do you know where Tarshish is? It's in southern Spain. And as far as they were concerned, that's as far as the world went. So he wants to go as far away from what God wants, or he wants to go as far away from the will of God as he can get, or you could say 
he wants to go away, away from the characteristic he sees in the Lord. He wants to go far away from that, as far as he can get away, rather than to do the will and purpose of God in his life. Now, I don't know if you have ever experienced this. I think many of us, if not all of us, have. To stay where God wants us to stay is not an easy thing because pressures come and the heart yielding to the pressures will cause us, if we're not really, really desiring Him and Him alone, will cause us to want to go in another way. We want us to say, that's it, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go yonder, wherever yonder may be. Yonder is away from the presence of the Lord. And so Jonah, with the call of God, first of all as a prophet, secondly, he has the message of God for the Ninevites, does not come down under that, and decides to go another direction because of probably his hatred for the Assyrians, and him knowing that God, as he says later, God, you are a merciful and loving God, bestowing mercy upon people. And he did not want to see the Ninevites experience the mercy of God. It's kind of strange, but, you know, our thinking can be based upon something that is moving in our heart that is not right. And if we base our thinking on something that is not right in our heart, eventually our thinking will take us in a different path, a different way. So he goes to the furthest point away. And he says here, it says here, and he paid the fare. See, man is willing to pay the fare to move to disobedience. Well, that's, that's easy to pay that fare. I'll do that but it might not be so easy to pay another fare to walk with God and to stay in the presence of God. Now remember that God is ultimately in control of circumstances. Do you realize that? Now we might not agree with certain things. We may not like certain things. We may try to change certain things, but the bottom line is, you and I must believe that God is in control of circumstances. Now, we can get in there and change circumstances for ourselves. We can. But God can bring us to a place to where we have no control of circumstances at all. At all. We're in them, and no matter what we do, what we say, what we believe, what we don't believe... None of it changes the circumstance. Now, let's just read a couple verses here. God is in control. Verse 4. But the Lord sent on a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. God is in control. Verse 6. So the captain came to him, to Jonah, and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. 
verse 7. So they didn't know who was the cause of this problem. This, they, they recognized that this storm here, for whatever reason, however they did it, I don't know, but they recognized that this was the hand of the Lord against them. And they said one to another, come let us cast lots in the latter part of verse 7. So the, they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So still God is in control of all this, you see. God was able to control the situation with the mariners, with them casting the lots, fell upon Jonah. I mean, there was probably a lot of other people there on the ship. I don't know how many. But even if there was 15 people, I mean, one in 16, the lot fell on Jonah because God was in control of even that. And then in verse 11, then they said to Jonah, what shall we do that the sea may be calm to us? And then he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm uh, for you. And I know that, that this great tempest is because of me. So Jonah had a revelation from God, even though he was running away from God. God revealed to him that the storm was because of him, and throwing him into the sea would be the remedy for the mariners to get out of this storm. God's still in control. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and so on. Now, as I said, we can control circumstances in our life to some degree. For example, uh, I can, or you can say, well, I'm going to go here and do this or go there and do that, or I'm in this situation, so I'm going to do certain things to get myself out of the situation. Jonah tried that. He got into this ship going away from the presence of the Lord, and it looked on the surface as though he was controlling the situation, but he really wasn't. But there comes a time, as I said, that we can get in a situation, a circumstances that no matter what we do, they don't change. We cannot get out of them. Look in verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And by the way, there are people who will totally discount this whole story of Jonah and say that it's a parable or something like that. But remember this, that in Matthew, Jesus says that as the prophet Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall I be in the belly of the earth. So Jesus said through that that this story was true and lends credence to it. So, because some people will say, you know, that really wasn't true. How can a person be in the belly of a fish and there, be there for three days? Well, there have been accounts where this has happened. Did you know that? Where people have been in a fish for a period of time and actually came out fine. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So now he's in a situation, 
He's in a circumstance that he cannot change no matter what he does. He's there. That's it. And we all will come into situations that no matter what we do, what we try to do, will not change a thing. We will be there and we will feel that we're dead. That's it. We can't do a thing. We're helpless. We're, you know, just totally out of it. What we do? What does Jonah do in this particular time? I like the first word in chapter 2. It says, then. <laughs> then Jonah prayed to the Lord. He wouldn't have had to come to this point, to this then, if he would have went God's way in the beginning. Man has a problem with the will of God sometimes, but finds out, like Jonah does here, that it's much easier to flow in the will of God than to move another direction that we, we think may be easier, may be better. When we go into that, we find out that it's not what we thought, and we're not receiving the relief that we thought. We're not receiving uh, the satisfaction that we thought going another way. But Jonah went, you know, he's the prophet. He went that way. And now he comes to the then. And now what are you going to do? Well, then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Jonah prayed to the Lord. Now, in verse 5 of chapter 1, just go back here for a minute. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But look where Jonah is. But Jonah was gone down into the lowest part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. And the Septuagint reads, um, he was asleep and snoring. Why? Here's all this, this huge storm. The tempest is there. You know, the waves are beating on the ship, and the ship is moving and tossed back and forth and you know, side to side. And here's Jonah down you know, under in the, sheep, in the ship, and he's asleep and snoring. I was thinking about that. I was thinking... You know, why was that? No, I'm not sure. But it very well could, could have been because he was totally exhausted fighting the will of God. He may have been so drained from going in a different way that he just physically just, that's it, exhausted. And he's just asleep, fast asleep, to the point where they had to come and wake him up. And say, what do you do in sleeper? Call on your God. So it's not always what Christians may think. You know, oh, let's go do what we want and, you know, go down this particular path and it'll be fine. I'll be satisfied and things will be, you know, great and so on and so forth. And they find that when you fight the will of God, that can be very exhausting. It can cause uh, in the heart and in the in the physical, some real problems. Verse 2, or verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, he, he uh, 
prays, and in verse 2 it says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Uh, verse 3, and you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me, and it goes on. Verse 4, um, well, let's go down to verse 5. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I was thinking about this. I mean, was it this huge whale, you know, where the belly of the whale was so big that you could walk around in? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it might have been more of a confined area. But could you imagine, you know, laying in the belly of a fish, having seaweed all over you and around your head, and saying... How did I get in this situation? Now, when he got on the ship initially, he decides to run away from the presence of the Lord. He had no idea. He had no clue of what was waiting for him. No clue whatsoever. But there he was in this dark place, the water sloshing around, weeds all over him. And... I'm thinking all that he experienced because he walked out of the will and purpose of God for his life. It's kind of a scary thing to think about. And many times, and you know this, Christians who begin to walk their own direction after they've been saved for a number of years, and they, they get out there and they find themselves in situations and they wonder why. Why is this happening? Well, it can be various reasons, but we can experience darkness, fear, uh, and all these other things in the belly of the whale or in the belly of our own will and our own way that we never knew were there. And there we are. Here's Jonah. What's left to do now? Well, nothing but pray. It's good that he prayed because God was, was looking for a change of heart. But see, there was only, as far as I can see here, there's only half of a change. Half of a change. See, God's not interested in half of a change. See, he's changed as far as now he's ready to go and preach to Nineveh. Um, where is it? Oh, verse 9. But I will, this is Jonah saying this, he's in the belly of the whale. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. Well, what is he saying here? What is he talking about? I believe he's saying, I will pay what I have vowed. In other words, now I will go to Nineveh and I vow to preach the message. But see, that is only half of the thing here. The second half was that he was in that place because God was dealing with his heart. He wanted a change of heart so that when he goes to preach the message, he just doesn't take the message, he takes the Spirit of God or he takes the, the, the heart of God with him to the Ninevites. 
So in chapter 3, verse 1, and I really like this because this is a source of hope for Christians, I believe. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So what I see in this is that there are times when God gives us a second chance to obey. So maybe with you and I, something came into our lives and we were not obedient the way we should have been. And here we are, and you know, we're, we're kind of floundering around, and the Lord comes the second time to give us a second chance to be obedient in the same thing. He gives a second chance to be obedient in that. And so Jonah is going to get up and go to Nineveh. Now, obedience, I mean, what is obedience here as far as the context? Is obedience going to Nineveh and preaching the message? Well, yeah. But is obedience something more than that? Is obedience here that he is to obey the Lord in that there is to be a change in his heart and life like the, the Lord desires and wants. I think that obedience here is more than just going to preach the message. See, because that's more of a surface thing. See, obedience is to come from the heart, not just in what is there to do, but being obedient from the heart in the will and purpose of God, whatever that may be. Whatever that may be. Whatever we are under or have to be under for a time. And so, even though he goes and preaches salvation to the Ninevites, and they respond, they respond, which is quite something. Obedience seems to be much more than that. Verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So he's going to get part of this right. And the reason why I say only part of this is because this is the only book in the Bible. First of all, I don't know if there's any book in the Bible that deals strictly with a Gentile nation. I mean, there might be another one, but I'm not sure. This may be the only one. But this book here ends like no other book in the Bible. It's like a, an abrupt end, and it's an end where God is asking Jonah a question. But why does God ask questions like this? Well, because his heart still wasn't right, even though he went and preached. So the more important thing would be getting the heart right. See, that's more important than preaching a message. Having one's heart right before the Lord is more important than standing up here and teaching or preaching. See, that's more important. But God is interested in both of them, see, because without a preacher, how will they hear? So he wants to get our hearts right. He wants our attitude to be right. 
He wants that which is within to be as it should be, as related to him, his character, and so forth. So that whenever that is correct, the message that comes out comes out a different way. It comes out with the power and authority. Remember, it says uh, of Stephen, it says that he, he, when he preached, uh, he preached with power and that they could not resist you know, what, what he was you know, saying. And it wasn't because that he had this tremendous message. It's because that his heart was so right with God that when the message came forth, it came forth in the power of the Spirit. Uh, so it wasn't just an anointed message, see, but you had the anointed life. The anointed life of Stephen and the anointed message. And so the message that Jonah takes to Nineveh may have been anointed by God to change the hearts and the lives and the lifestyle of the Ninevites. But as far as there being benefit in that to Jonah's personal life as far as character, that's missing. That's missing. And the Lord is very interested in the message and the messenger. Very interested in all that being the way it should be. But I do like that the Lord came and gave him a second chance. And so he goes and he preaches to the Ninevites here. And it says that the, the city was vast. It was a three-day journey. I don't know what exactly that means. I mean, three-day journey, that's, I mean, you can walk pretty far in a day. Let's say you walk 10 miles. That means that the, the city was 30 miles. That's pretty, pretty big, 30 miles. So he begins to walk, and the first day when he begins to preach this message, the people, and as I said before, the Assyrians were brutal people. They could care less about other nations. But God had caused his spirit to dwell in these words. And as Jonah walks through the town, and he says, God is going to destroy this town in 40 days, the city. And that had an impact on the people. And this is a Gentile nation. They, they were so far removed from the promises of God and, and from the, the Mosaic law and all that, they were so far removed from that, they knew nothing about that. But it had such an impact on them that they said, let us fast and, and let us put on sackcloth and ashes and repent. And so as Jonah is walking through, I, I was thinking that would be the dream of every prophet to preach a message like that Thousands and thousands of people falling down, you know, and covering themselves and repenting. What a message. What a response. And so he keeps on going, and the king of Nineveh hears about this, and he knew because of their lifestyle that this was true. There was a witness in his heart about this. And so he does the same thing and says, let's fast. Don't, don't eat anything, don't drink anything, 
And in verse 9, this is the king of Nineveh, says this, chapter 3. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? This is from an ungodly, Gentile, brutal king. He repents. And by the way, this is the only time that the Assyrians came to the Lord. The next book, or not the next book, but the book of Nahum here is about 100 years later, and he preaches a message that God is going to destroy the Assyrians and Nineveh, and it happens because they don't repent that time. But this time, they did. Why? Well, because I believe the messenger had a message, and God used that, even even though his heart wasn't where it should be. God still used it. Verse 10, Then God saw their works, the Ninevites, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Verse 1 of chapter 4, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So here you have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people repenting And Jonah is angry because of it. It seems kind of like contradictory. Like, is he really a prophet? Why would a prophet, you know, have that type of a heart attitude? And and it stems back to before what I said. There was something there personally that touched him with the Assyrian army. And he had this hatred in him for them. And when you see this anger here, this anger and hatred move along the same line. Now, I thought I had that in here. Oh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 35 is where it is. Turn to Ezekiel 35. Now, this talks about, this chapter is talking about Montseer. Montseer was the, the general area of Edom or the Edomites. The Edomites were enemies of Israel. And they had a deep-seated hatred for the Israelites. And so the Lord addresses this, and he says there in verse 11, Therefore, as I live, says the the Lord God, I will do according, according to your anger. He's talking to the Edomites. I will do according to your anger and according to the envy which you have shown in your hatred against them. So you see hatred and anger moving along the same path here in Ezekiel. And you're seeing it in Jonah. The reason why Jonah, I believe, is angry is because of his hatred for the Assyrians. And see, we have not been touched with this, if you understand what I'm saying. How many of us have experienced someone in our family being impaled or having their arm and hands chopped off or having their children thrown into a fire and burned. See, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, why would he hate? Why can't he let that go? And you know what? There are people that can't leave things a lot less than that. They can't leave them go. But see, regardless of what it is, Regardless of what may come down the road, we cannot allow that to get in our heart and set up shop. 
That is the point about forgiveness and the love of God. And sometimes it's difficult for Jonah to relent or for, for Jonah to say, okay, Lord, I forgive them and, you know, I want to see them truly repent. That was something that was difficult for him and he just couldn't get past that. He didn't want, he would, salvation to anyone else would be fine, but not to them. And his hatred for, for the Ninevites caused him great difficulty and problems. See, so when we have something against somebody else, that doesn't hurt them, that hurts us. If we hate someone else, that doesn't hurt them, that hurts us. It doesn't do anything to them, but it affects our relationship if we hate other people. Now, let's face it. There are people that we run into that aren't the nicest to be around. And sometimes they are extremely difficult to deal with. And I've worked with them, believe me. And so you have to have something here in your, in your spirit that says, Lord, you know, I may not particularly like them, but I will not hate them. And there was this one individual, and I worked with him for maybe 45 years, maybe, maybe five years. And of all the people that I ever worked with, I never worked with anyone like him, ever, ever. He was so difficult, and he would do things that you would not believe. I wouldn't even tell you some of the things, you wouldn't believe it. And one day, he, I mean, he did things toward me, occasionally. And one day, he started to mock and make fun of me in front of uh, some other people about the gospel. And I just got a smile on my face because I was, I, I hate to say this, but I was enjoying it. <laughs> now, you might think I'm crazy, but I was enjoying him jeering me because of the gospel. Now, I don't know. That's kind of strange. But there was something in me that said, that's good. That's good he's making fun of me because of the gospel because at least he knows I'm walking with God and I'm a Christian. And so I let him go and he you know, went on for a little while and then that was the end of it. And then I told him as he was ending, I said, you know what? That gospel you're mocking is exactly what you need in your life. And it was. And he started laughing. We can't allow people the way they are to get to us. You know, like to say, get your goat. You shouldn't even have the goat. But you can't allow that to set up something in your heart where you have resentment and hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness unforgiv because that hurts you. That affects your walk, uh, not the other person. This is dealing with you and I personally. And so it displeased Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1, that the, that the uh, Ninevites repented. So you can see that Jonah had a difficulty with the will of God, like you know, many people do. But you also see that God has difficulty with the will of man. He's trying to get things straight with Jonah, just like he tries to get things straight today with many people. But they have a problem. Now, just in um, closing, one verse, just back up a minute. 
In chapter 2, Jonah's praying from the belly of the whale. And in verse 9, he says, But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So Jonah here is submitting to the sovereignty of God in his circumstances. But he does not submit to the the sovereignty of God in being kind to the Ninevites. So there can always be this dual thing happening. You know, we can obey in, in one thing, but in another thing, forget it. So the the issue here with Jonah is the same issue that men have today, all of us. And that is a heart issue. And so remember that the gospel is to change you on the inside. Not just that you're changed, you're saved, you're going to heaven. That's true, that's good. But it is to change you, and it should be a continual change in our life as we continue on. Because you will find that, as you, you know, Christians aren't perfect. We're not perfect. But as you continue on, things pop up, and you will find out that you didn't even know maybe that that was in your heart. But now there it is before you. Now the Lord wants to, to change that and get that thing right. And as I said before, the book ends very abruptly in verse 9. Let's read the last couple verses. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even unto death. So he wants to hold on to his anger so much so that he'd rather die than let it go. He would rather, and he says this, before this, he would rather die than to go and move in the will and purpose of God in this thing with the Ninevites. Now, that's, pretty, that's pretty strong. I'd rather die than to do this. Verse 10, But the Lord said, You, had, you have had pity on the plant for which you ha- have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between the right hand and their left and much livestock? So he, he ends the book with this question to, to um, Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not pity Nineveh? You're pitying the plant because it died. Should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not you know, uh, extend my hand to see them repent. And there's no answer. Jonah doesn't respond. It's just cut off there. Which makes me wonder if Jonah has ever, had ever gotten that thing right. I don't know. Maybe he did it his, his deathbed. I don't know. But nonetheless, at this point in his life, it was still there. And even though he went from circumstances that he partially controlled, to circumstances that he could not control, and comes out of the fish, still, even though the Lord worked on his behalf in in the natural area, there was still no change 
in the heart or the spirit of Jonah at this point. And the book ends with the question. You know, what, and the question isn't necessarily what God is asking, I don't think. The question is, as far as I can see, is are you not going to get your heart right in this? You know, what's going on with you? Should I not pity Nineveh? Shouldn't you pity Nineveh? Jonah the prophet. You're a prophet. You shouldn't do that. Yes, you should. So the, question, the book ends with that question. 